Well, MLK is certainly one of the most uh, recognizable people in the 20th century. You may not know his original name was Michael King, named after his father, Michael King Sr. Michael King Sr. was a pastor who one time traveled to Germany. He was so impressed by learning about a particular person in history from Germany, he came back and changed his name and changed his son's name as well to what most people know. They are Martin Luther King Sr. and Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, the person he studied in Germany was Martin Luther, who lived 500 years ago, who would ignite the Reformation, which really showed us, uh, among many things, the truth about the grace of God, but the reality that one man truly can change the world. As Tom Razor said, one man, Martin Luther, took a stand that shredded the fabric of Europe. It changed theology, it changed politics, it changed society, it changed political boundaries. You go back and look at what Martin Luther did as a, a monk, he discovered by reading scripture, the promise of God is that grace is greater than all our sin. There's no political power, no wealth, no religious power that can earn God's grace in favor. It's simply a free gift that God forgives our sin because Christ paid the price for that to be so. Now this upset some people who were political leaders and religious leaders because they wanted people to be lied to so they could be controlled. And so they taught things like, if you want to go to heaven, you have to obey authority. To go to heaven, you have to pay money. And so they controlled people till Luther came around and said, listen, I've read the Bible. It says you're forgiven a free gift because Jesus paid that price for you. Martin Luther also translated scripture into the common language. And his life was threatened many times by those in authority, political and religious wise, but he stood up in courage and faith, and his faith showed us again one person in Christ can really change the world. Now Luther, he and his wife, great relationship. Their home was a happy home. People gathered their students, travelers, to talk about theology and the meaning of life. And so much of what he said is preserved by students as well as things that he wrote himself. Consider a, a couple of the things that he said. There's thousands of wise quotes here, just a couple. Martin Luther here said, on what last? I've held many things in my hands. I've lost them all. What I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. On nature, he said, God writes the gospel in the Bible, as well as on trees and flowers, clouds and stars. He loved creation. He especially loved dogs and talked about what a, what a wonderful companion a dog truly is. He also had a, a great marriage. Again, listen to the advice he gave and think if people took this advice. Let the wife make her husband glad to come home. Let him make her sorry to see him leave. We've talked many times about the 10-minute the rule in marriage. You know, when you wake up in the morning, when you come home at night, that first 10 minutes should be the, the best part of the day. So if you're coming home from work and you're one of those people that comes in the door and said, I've had the worst day, you're leading to a, a difficult relationship because that is toxic. You're bringing disruption when you ought to be entering into that evening and that morning with a celebration of that relationship you have. If you're not doing that, change your focus. 
When you're focusing on all the things that are wrong or the stress or the worries, stop and focus on what you're grateful for. Take three minutes and say out loud, God, I'm grateful for this and this and this. Change your language. If you're saying out loud how difficult things are, complaining about things, fearful about things, begin to speak words of faith and encouragement and gratitude. When your gratitude is there, the fear, it'll simply disappear. But the most important message Luther would bring to the world, again, is he would share the Bible doesn't talk about there's no hope unless you do certain things. He taught as Paul taught, as scripture teaches, as Jesus made clear, there is nothing you and I can do to earn God's grace. There's nothing we can do to be forgiven of our sins in our own strength. Well, Luther, Luther brought back to the forefront for the world is the grace of God, the free gift that he forgives our sins if we trust Jesus who laid his life down to pay the price for that. As Luther said, the grace of God is great, very great, strong, mighty, and active. Grace hears, leads, drives, draws, changes, works all in man. So let's take a moment here to, to look at some modern day as well as historical examples of how that grace has changed some amazing ways people's lives. Titus 2.11, Paul says the grace of God instructs us to renounce ungodliness. The grace of God instructs us to renounce ungodliness. The grace should compel us to make some different decisions with our life, is what Paul is saying here. Listen to Randy Frazee. He worked with George Gallup. If you've heard of Gallup polls, this is George Gallup that is being talked about here. Uh, Gallup polls for many things in the culture, uh, especially about religious beliefs and, and what people believe about morals. And so Gallup polls have been taken for years. Randy Frazee worked with George Gallup and he shared this. I was talking about self-control and Gallup stopped me and said, Randy, you're not an alcoholic, are you? I told him I was not. Gallup replied, well, I am. And so is my dad. When I took a drink as a young man, something happened to me that doesn't happen to a lot of people. It overcame me. I could not beat it. Even after I became a Christian, I couldn't beat it. I felt so guilty and so powerless. And then one day I heard Jesus whisper to me, George, if you never figure this out, know this, I died for this. And when I soaked in that grace, it gave me the power. I haven't had a drink since. It's been 30 years. You see, grace should compel us not to say, since I'm forgiven, then I can live and then just kind of half-heartedly follow Jesus. It's the grace that compels us to say, listen, because he is everything, I'm going to live, as Paul says, renounce. We'll talk about that word in a moment, ungodliness. St. Francis de Sales, 1600, said, Do not look forward to what may happen tomorrow. The same Heavenly Father who cares for you today will take care of you tomorrow. 
Either he'll shield you from suffering or give you strength to bear it. Be at peace and say continually, the Lord is my strength, my shield, not only with me, but in me and I in him. You see, grace is again the, the gift of forgiveness in Christ. And it's the promise now that this mystery revealed is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Daniel 4, 27, Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar about sin and beautiful transformation happens there. But listen to this one thing here in Daniel 4, 27, as Daniel's speaking to the king about needing to change his life. He uses the same word here that Paul does, your majesty Renounce your sins by doing what is right. What does that word renounce mean? Let me give you another example here, and then I'll give you a definition. But renounce, incredible thing, important to daily life for us in Christ, especially when we recognize grace. Go back to the early church, you know, about 400 A.D., we have records uh, of just a, a wonderful practice. When a person became a believer, they would go through a three-year discipleship program, and that included regularly renouncing sin and Satan. And they would live a, a holy life and study scripture, learn about prayer, and be taught all that they needed to know in this early stage of their Christian walk. Then they were baptized on the eve of Easter. They would face to the west towards sundown as a, a symbolic gesture. They were leaving the darkness behind. And then they would say this prayer, a great prayer. People still say it today. I invite you to, to write it down and use it for yourself on a regular basis. But this is the prayer Christians have said for centuries. Right before being baptized, they would say, I renounce Satan and all his works and all of his empty promises. I renounce Satan, all of his works, and all of his empty promises. To renounce simply means to declare that you want no more to do with this influence in your life. You're stating that it is over. It's something that you do out loud. Something you do out loud with an intensity, with conviction. You want to hear it yourself. You want the devil to hear it. You say it out loud. That's what renouncing is. So here's some examples from Neil Lozano. Maybe one or many of these will, will speak to your heart, but you can find thousands of things that you could say, I renounce this. But for example, in the name of Jesus, I renounce self-righteousness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce arrogance. In the name of Jesus, I renounce a spirit of adultery and unfaithfulness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce fear. In the name of Jesus, I renounce rejection. So it means to declare what you no more, no more want in your life. No more of this influence, no more of this compromise, no more of this sin. Here's why it's so important. You know, years ago, Brennan Manning made this very, very important statement. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We want to be 
an example, not a warning. Too many people embracing, you know, I'm forgiven in Jesus, and they go and live lives then of sin and exploiting that promise. And Paul himself made the statement again so clear that the grace compels us to renounce ungodliness. You've heard me mention many times Luther's statement, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. As Luther would make clear, what I do today, I do to live for Christ. So when I stand before him on that day, He'll say to me, good servant, well done. You have been faithful in these few things. Let me put you over much. You know, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. For much of his life, he himself admitted he was a a terrible person. He said, I was the most wicked man that I knew. He was violent. He was a criminal. He was an unfaithful husband, multiple affairs. What changed for John Newton, 1748, he's on a boat and there's a terrible storm and he is just terrified. He ties himself to the mast. Here's the interesting thing. The crew knew what a terrible person he was. They then begin to say, this is like the story of Jonah, and you're a curse to this ship, and they're about to throw him overboard. They believe God is sending judgment because Newton is so terrible. And Newton himself, he says, Lord, have mercy on us. And he's shocked. He hasn't said a prayer since he was just a young child. They survived the storm. He is still just terrified about what happened. He finds a Bible, opens it up. He finds Luke 11, which verse 13, Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And Newton recognizes just as he's an evil man, sometimes he does nice things. He says nothing compared to king of the universe and the grace he offers. Newton becomes a believer, gives his life to Christ, becomes a preacher, again writes amazing grace. End of his life, he has a breakfast with a friend. He's blind at this point. You'll see what he said to that man at that breakfast. But Newton has recognized that he is that one that grace has been poured out on. So he says, this is what I want written on my tombstone. And this is what is written on John Newton's tombstone. John Newton, once an infidel and a libertine. Libertine means somebody that commits adultery. A slave trader in Africa was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned and appointed to preach. What a beautiful statement, preserved, restored, pardoned, appointed. As Paul said, the grace of God instructs us to renounce ungodliness. 
Listen to what Luther had to say about the grace when the devil comes along to remind you of your past. When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. So Newton has a breakfast with a friend. Again, he's blind at this time. He asked the man to read a Bible. The man reads 1 Corinthians, which closes with Paul saying how his life was changed. Chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by his own strength, by God's grace. And then Newton says to his friend, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect, deficient. I am not what I hope to be. And though I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. I heartily join the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. So let me share something here from Matthew West. He wrote a song. This song has touched many lives. I'll share the lyrics and then a story he shares about this song as well. When you let the grace of God transform your life, you take a new identity, explained beautifully in these lyrics. Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we have met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside, won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll dry you right back down again. These are the voices Oh, these are the lies, and I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I've been saved, changed. I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I am no longer defined by the wreckage behind. The one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Take a look at my life, what the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be his children, and I'm a child of the one true king. Now, Matthew West shares about a man who wrote to him, and I'll read what he shares happened. Hello, my name is Jordan. I'm a drug addict. That was the first sentence this young man's story that he sent to me. He told me that years, that's how he identified himself, an athlete in high school with a college scholarship to run track and play football. During his sophomore year, though, he broke his ankle and got a prescription for oxycodone. He wrote, addiction quickly took a hold of his life. He spun out of control, two failed drug tests, the university kicked him out. He found himself at a rehab center run by Christians and he began to realize God was not done with him yet and all those defeating titles like addict didn't have to be attached to his name for the rest of his life. Eventually, he went back to get his master's degree from that college that kicked him out. Now he's a teacher and a coach, a newlywed, with a call to full-time ministry. He ended the letter by saying, These days, I introduce myself a little differently. Hello, my name is Jordan, and I'm a child of the one true king. 
Renouncing means declaring you want no more to do with this influence in your life. That it's over. That you can truly say, by God's grace, the grace of God instructs me to renounce ungodliness. Doesn't matter if it's yesterday or years ago. You know, John and Sheila Hill shared that they had caused damage to their children. One son grew up, had his own problems. They looked back over how they had been in their early marriage when this man was just a baby. And they realized at a healing seminar, they needed to do something. And they said, we asked the Lord to go through our son's life to pour out his blessing in all the places and times that blessing was withheld because of our sin. They left that seminar and shared three months later, their son called. Their son had been trying for eight years to have a child, he and his wife. Fertility clinics, treatments, nothing worked. And three months after they prayed that God would go through and pour out blessings where they were withheld because of their sin. The son called and says, my wife's pregnant. This is our miracle baby. And John and Sheila Hill replied, you don't know how much a miracle this baby is. And they told him about going to that healing seminar and releasing the blessings over his life and repenting, renouncing their sins. And when they renounced that ungodliness in light of the grace of God, the miracles followed. One man truly can make all the difference. One woman really can make all the difference. Just like Martin Luther, when we live our life in light of the grace of God that compels us to renounce ungodliness and say, I'm going to live for Jesus. I close with one final example. Rick Burdett. Two friends of mine, Paul and William, decided they really wanted to be godly men. They started meeting together to pray and encourage one another, set goals for their behavior to hold each other accountable. Paul decided he wanted to break his habit of using profanity. He would put $5 in the offering plate every Sunday for each day that he swore. In order to stay accountable, he would tell William how many times he failed. The first check he wrote was $100. Now, Paul had money, so this did not stop his swearing. In fact, while he improved... He really wasn't having success like he wanted. And he was just losing more and more cash. After the fourth week, William told Paul, the deal we made needs to be changed starting next week. He told Paul, I'm not going to tell you the new deal. Just know, trust me, it will cost you both more and less. When they met the following Sunday before service, Paul admitted he failed again. William put a hand on his shoulder and said, I told you, your behavior was going to cost you both less and more. It's called grace. William took out his own checkbook, made out a check to the church, and left the amount blank. He gave the check to Paul and said, your sin still cost, but for you it's free. Now you fill out the numbers, and next week, there will be more grace. William's grace cost him $55 that first week. The second, only 20. There was no third week. Paul couldn't bear to see what his sin was costing his friend, so he quit sinning. 
we grow up when we start to understand it is all his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.